Hey Highland, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Pinson. I am here as always with David Sessions. Say hello, David. Hello. And we are also here with uh, someone who has shaped and molded many of our faiths as we uh, have been a part of Highland throughout the years, the one and only Mike Cope. <laughs> Guys, good to be with you today. Thank yeah. you for being here. I'm, I'm most noted as an eight-year children's ministry volunteer at this church. That's that's my, I like it. my main claim to fame. That's your main <laughs> line item on your resume? Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite stories about Mike, as we have said many times, that the thing we have the hardest time with on this podcast is starting and ending, is I asked Mike before he went up to preach at a conference one time, I just happened to be sitting on the front row, hey, do you know what you're going to say or are you just going to wing it? And he said, I know where I'm going to land. <laughs> and then he got up there, and and I was it was kind of like watching Michael Jordan's flu game, and just being like, <laughs> I am in awe of the talent I'm witnessing. Well, thanks. Landing's important. I yes. Uh, yet I have all kind of reasons that my flights aren't working out of Abilene lately, and the most recent one was they put in a thousand gallons too much fuel. <laughs> For some reason, it was okay to take off being way overweight, but we couldn't land at DFW that way. Mm. So we had to fly to DFW by way of Oklahoma City to wow. burn off extra fuel. Uh, so the landing's kind of an important thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Seems like an exceptionally large margin for the mistake there, of a thousand extra gallons. That's what I that's <laughs> Somebody what put think. the decimal point somebody, in the wrong place. <laughs> somebody decided they had to have a smoke and got way away from it for a while, I guess. Well, I don't that's know. That's good. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Um, we are uh, kind of wanting to pivot from the conversation we've been having about deconstruction to talk about some things that we're learning are directly related to uh, deconstruction, like uh, prayer and how we read scripture. But um, we wanted to kind of uh, use your episode to kind of put a cap, uh, not on not on ever talking about deconstruction, but on specifically sure. focusing on it. Um, because uh, we know that's something that uh, you've gone through and, and you care and have thought about. One of the things that you and I have talked about um, since we've been doing this is getting kind of clear on our deconstruction vocabulary. Um, there are some times when people are uh, going through disorientation, uh, which is probably, like we've said down here, a really necessary spiritual growth step to go from uh, shared to uh, inherited to shared to own faith, um, and there are really uh, immature like uh, versions kind of out there that that we've noticed some popular kind of celebrity preachers attack with deconstruction. We're very pro deconstruction when it's done mm -hmm. in healthy ways. So how would you separate kind of um, this kind of straw man? Uh, deconstruction that some people are attacking sure. versus natural faith development versus maybe some more of this kind of dark night of the soul, true deconstruction. Things yeah, the word through. gets bounced around a lot. I was thinking of a podcast I did probably 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the person doing the podcast wanted to talk about deconstruction, said that's what everybody wants to hear about. Yeah. And now it's kind of uh, gone the other way where... I keep reading people writing about what's wrong with deconstruction right. and why it, you know, it's destroying faith and so on. And I think that's to miss the point, at least, of what I was thinking of as deconstruction. Okay. There, you, you have to be on a journey. And uh, most people I know have ups and downs on the journey, and they have growth in their understanding of things. So deconstruction to me is a, a natural part of journey. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a way of saying um, either some of the things I inherited growing up uh, no longer resonate with me, perhaps right. because they were fundamental, uh, uh, you grew up in a fundamentalistic uh, environment, or I personally have grown, and so I've owned some new things, I've seen some new things, I understand some new things. But even along the road, I, I would hope that the thing that grows the most is humility. Hmm. So that's that's part of the challenge is that I don't just get from being a fundamentalist at this point to become a fundamentalist at this point. I've just changed right. my positions on something. I my hope would be that there is a growing humility. And an example of that is how one handles doubts. I I think there's 
there can be a kind of fundamentalist attack on doubt that can come from the right or the left, yeah. you know. But doubt is just kind of what happens in life as one leans into trust. That, right. That's baked into the system of trust is that there will be moments of wavering. I love uh, Jaber Crow Wendell yeah. Berry's book, and in it somebody says to Jaber when he's studying theology, you need to turn loose of your doubts. And he says, I tried turning loose of them. They won't turn loose of me. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people have seen that. So for me, there were some movements that some might call uh, deconstruction in my theological training, uh, my reading of Scripture. And there were others that just came from life. You know, some of it lived out with this church. Mm. Um, the first four years I preached here, our daughter was so ill, and there were so many emergency flights over to Children's Hospital in Fort Worth. Mm. And then her death in 1994, you know, I, I never tried to make that the center of my ministry, but I think people sensed that that there is a walking through a new way of understanding prayer hmm. and God's presence in the world and the meaning of community yeah. that had to do with those realities. Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, one thing that has been pretty, um, almost like a North Star for me is kind of this wrestling between faith and doubt. And kind of what you're talking about, the real big aha for, moment for me is that the opposite of faith isn't, doubt the opposite of faith is certainty and the opposite of doubt is certainty i i think that's right i which makes you think that maybe the best way of thinking about um about that gospel story is i believe yeah but help my unbelief, unbelief. you yeah. know not not so much my doubts frederick beekner just passed away in yeah. his 90s, and I was always struck by his statement that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. Mm. Um, that's set close to close to my bones for 40 years yeah. now. That's... Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, your uh, daughter Megan and, and her passing. Um, one of the things that's come up a lot for people in their deconstructive journeys is um, we were taught to pray for the things that we wanted. Nothing is ever closer to what we want than our own children's health and well-being. Um, and it's extremely sad and hurtful uh, when prayers for our children go unanswered. And so uh, I'm hearing that being maybe a part of, of your journey as well. Uh, is there any more you can say it, about that? It, it is, but it, it's kind of tied to an idolatrous attachment to certainty okay. I think I had growing up. It, okay. It was sort of part and parcel of my faith heritage. Now, I think if you've been at Highland for the last half century, that's been different. But I truly grew up in in the belief that we are the only believers, the only ones who will be saved, the only ones. And salvation was based on certainty, certainty about what the Bible says about this and that and that. And to go with it, a kind of confidence, a, a quid pro quo with God about faithfulness and, and answered prayer. Yeah. Kind of Deuteronomic theology yep. taken to its extreme there yeah. with, without the hesitations of, <laughs> of uh, some of the books of wisdom. So I, I do think that that's true, that, that that's part of the humility journey okay. is out of the cocksuredness that was there about all matters of doctrine and certainty based on that, but also out of certainty about how this world works. Yeah, I mean, one could have a certainty that if you pray, there will be an answer just like you prayed for, and one could have a certainty that God doesn't do that. Yeah, Both of those seem to lack the humility to say, um, God is God, yeah. and God is good all of the time. Yeah. But we and our limitations don't fathom all of that. Just recently, uh, Amy's sermon on Job yeah. I thought was so eloquent. Yes, that move there at the end. Yes, that, that we can't we can't see all of that, but we live with this confidence that that God is is present in the midst of that. Right, because confidence and faith can live together, whereas certainty and faith uh, really can't. Uh, and 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 certainty. And humility don't 
breed well, live well together. Uh, but um, humility and confidence can. Uh, and so we can, you know, if, if the question asks us, if we get the question, if, if we pray hard enough, will God heal whomever? A, a humble, confident answer is, we hope so. Absolutely. And, and we believe God can do that. Yeah. I'm remembering a a story. This was probably late 90s, maybe around 2000. Um, a, a man from this church was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there with him when elders from a different church in town, a different denomination, had been invited in and they came and circled him. And he was in his last hours. He was yeah. a friend of mine. And uh, they said, if anyone here has any doubts about whether God is going to heal him, would you step out of the room? Well, I was his minister. <laughs> I thought, wow, that puts me in bad, <laughs> in bad light. I said, well, let me just ask a question. Do you, do you mean certainty that it is going to happen or, or certainty that God has the power to make it yeah. happen? And I think they probably acquiesced to my hesitations yeah. and said, oh, no, believe that God could do that. And I said, okay, yeah, right. let me stay in here. And then they said their prayer, and then they applauded God's healing of him, and then he died two hours later. Oh. Um, so that those are the kind of things that I just I want to sit in the mystery yeah. of that. Be with people in the uncertainties, but confident. Yeah. In, in several things, confident in the language of Colossians and Ephesians, that God is moving all things together in Christ, yeah. that all things are being summoned to God's great restoration. Yeah. Yeah. Some of, some of what I think I've heard people call deconstruction, some of what I've called deconstruction, is in some ways a move from certainty to faith, hmm. because faith involves some sort of mystery, because the way that... I heard about prayer growing up and is, you know, if you're going to pray for rain, you better carry an umbrella. You pray expecting and you, uh, when you pray, if you have enough faith and you, you don't have doubts that God will move these mountains for you. And then when that starts to not work, then you have to, you have to make that, you have to rework the formula somehow. And in many ways, the weak link in the formula was my faith because right. I knew that I knew that there were doubts in there somewhere, and I, if yeah. I could root them out, then we could make this work and we could get this person healed. Um, and so you either have to push those doubts down real low, where you can't see them or feel them anymore, or you have to change what faith means. Yeah, and your your expectations, your understanding, mm-hmm. or maybe just heighten your appreciation for the mystery right in, into which we live and and. Uh, What's being promised to those who are believers? Again, I, I'm sorry to be the historian here. I just am thinking of all these Please. stories through the years, but there was a, not long after Megan died at the age of 10, uh, there was another uh, girl in our congregation. I believe she, Amy was 10. Uh, her father was, uh, her parents remembers here, her, her um, grandfather was an elder. Hmm. But I remember a prayer Jack Maxwell prayed that was the most bold prayer I'd ever heard. And he's kind of a quiet guy, yeah. you know, art, artsy guy. Yeah. He got up and prayed the most eloquent, bold prayer I'd ever heard. And um, just insisting, begging God to answer that prayer. And, and then this girl died. And I just, that stands as a model for me of, of this kind a thoughtful man yeah. being bold with God, but knowing that Jack, it, it doesn't throw Jack completely off the rails. Yeah. We had asked God, we'd stated what we wanted. And of course, we do believe in a kind of ultimate healing, although that can become yeah. <laughs> kind of an escape route for everything. Yeah. You know, I think of the Sunday somebody prayed for all the kids at Winterfest to come back uh, safely. And then that infamous turning over of, mm. of the vehicle. We lost one of the the boys in this church in that wreck. Um, and no, I, I don't think of prayer as that kind of, of guarantee. And so when somebody bumps up against that, uh, I I think they've their faith is going to grow. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've got to readjust and ask, what is it we say we believe? Yeah. What, what 
how are we able to handle unexpected things? What seem like uh, prayers that go unanswered that sits next to our confidence that Christ has ascended to the right hand of the throne of God mm. and it's alive and working among us, but we, we don't live in a protected box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about to um, almost like an elevated view of God and humanity's relationship too. I mean, I'm thinking about the story where uh, Jesus asks uh, who sinned this man or his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's picking at the Jewish custom of finding fault. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like hearing you, hearing Matt talk about uh, the way we, we've got to figure out why a prayer wasn't answered. Is it, it's not because, can't because God's not loving. Some people enter faithlessness or some sort of deconstruction because, well, I prayed and God's not loving because I prayed. Or you go where Matt, you went, and it's like, well, it's it's my fault. And so, if if we allow for mystery, if we allow for hey, sometimes really awful things just happen, and it's not this man's fault, and it's not this man's parents' fault. If it's not our fault, and it's not God's fault, um, do we? Does our faith have a place for um, a completely broken world? Right. And um, and the best parts of Scripture are asking those very yeah those very questions. Habakkuk yeah. is this pinnacle of faith in the Old Testament. God, what about the Assyrians? Yeah, don't worry about the Assyrians. The Babylonians are coming. God, the <laughs> Babylonians are worse than the Assyrians. Yeah, you know, and just all of these questions, theodicy kind of questions. Mm-hmm. But but then coming to listen to God and to be told, "Be still." The Lord is in His holy temple. Yeah and to listen to him. And then at the end, the height of faith statements in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 3, even if there are no figs on the vines, even if there are no crops in the fields, even if there are no cattle, uh, yet I will trust in him. Hmm. I I find that to be a powerful opportunity in life, that I can grow in that kind of trust. Yeah, that is so inspirational to me um, because that, that... Mis- the faith emerging from mystery of I cannot square the circle of why there is suffering in the world. I cannot square the circle of war in the Ukraine right now or uh, Jackson, Mississippi doesn't have enough water for their citizens right now. This is right. I drive by five homeless people on my way here. It can be maddening sometimes, uh, the injustice in our world, the unfairness in our world. But uh, even from that a place of helplessness, we can still believe that uh, God is in his holy place in, in ordering the events of the world. Absolutely. And that God's, a, a kind of ultimate response to that is the incarnation. That's yeah. how we understand yep. God with us. Yeah. And I think for for Christians and for groups of Christians, for churches, that's that's one of the main places of growth when we quit being for things and we start being with people. Huh. Um, I, I can kind of feel some of that transition in my own history and some of Highland's um, history where we were, we were for the poor. Yeah. You know, we were for the mentally disabled. We were for um, people of color who had suffered. But it was it, it's a, quite a movement then to not just be for them, that's kind of a privileged thing to do. Yeah, not just an advocate, but with them. And I have all these faces coming to mind of people in this church who led us to be with people, mm-hmm. uh, so that the church is very different as a result. So one thing that people have asked us for is like more resources. <laughs> uh, and so hearing you say that, that really reminds me of Henry Nowen's shift um, from being for uh, the people to then going and staying in a large community and being with. Uh, the severely handicapped as leaving his place in power at Harvard and Yale and going and being spending the rest of his days with people uh, who are not going to build his resume. Uh, that uh, that from for to with is powerfully resonating with me yeah, right and that, now. That probably is a lot of the power of his ministry. Yeah, is that uh, Henry went in and and he was with them partly as a pastor and caretaker, but much more as he describes it, as just a member of the community yeah. and a receiver of the gifts they they had to give. I, 
during the time I was here, two Highland members went up to be with uh, with Nowen at different times. One was Bill Nash, huh. and and Bill came back. And it's funny because I think of the two of them probably very alike, you know, just uh, people who choose to be with people all the time. And the other was Daryl Tippins, who came wow. back just testifying to the kindness of this man wow. uh, with, with all all of the challenges around him. It also reminds me of one of our first podcasts with Mark Kaiser, uh, the phrase that's just been resonating with me. And I think this is similar to what you're saying is he, he said, it's enough to just be a knower of names. Hmm. You can just come and learn, learn people's names. You don't need to take work from people. You don't need to, uh, to be for them or save them, but to sit shoulder to shoulder with them and learn their names and learn their stories. It's enough. Yeah, that, that matters a lot. Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the, big things that I've seen as almost an anchor for people is moving from the a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to a, almost a communal relationship mm-hmm. where we're hmm. in community with each other and as a part of that we're in relationship to Jesus um, if that makes any sense. You guys are the theological people. It I think does. you said it really well. <laughs> you, you did say it well. I felt like I waded into deep waters and couldn't touch anymore. I, no, you did. And you know, the, the funny thing is, um, it, the listeners have either read or heard us banter around names like uh, N.T. Wright or Richard Hayes or Scott McKnight, people like that, who kind of represent what's called the new perspective on Paul. But part of why those scholars resonate with Churches of Christ so much is that we always had a high view of the church. Yeah. And what they're saying is that they're kind of developed in Protestantism a, a sense that it was just personal relationship with Jesus. And you still hear that a lot as if church is then just some upgrade that some choose and, and others don't. But they, they're pointing out that it's hard to separate ecclesiology and soteriology in the New Testament. In other words, hard to separate the work of God to save from the work of God to gather people into this new body yeah. of Christ. That, that That's a part of this movement of God to save. All of that is to say that I, I respect people who've got to step out and breathe and, yeah. uh, you know, the Barbara Brown Taylor leaving church yeah. idea if, you know, for a moment to recover, to find oneself. But but that's not a place to live. The church hmm. is the place where we, you know, we stumble and bumble together, but but we grow as the gathered people of God. Right. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned kind of this um, one way of, of of your personal deconstruction is a different way of interacting with God. You can kind of put the word prayer on that generally, but also the way of interacting with God through scripture, which for your bringing, my upbringing, much of Church of Christ's upbringing is, uh, we were kind of biblicists. The way that we know God is through scripture, mm-hmm. period, the end. <laughs> Our experience doesn't right. matter, or uh, tradition doesn't matter. Talk about the ways in your journey that um, scripture changed, the way you interact with scripture changed. That's a long journey. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, for a long time, I, it was, well, I've always loved the Bible. I, from the earliest days, I've still got my original King James Bible with all the VBS gold stars in it. You know? right. <laughs> Underlined verses from when I was in middle school and high school. Hmm. I, I don't know why I, I was drawn early to that. I lived in among a people that that was of high yeah. value. Um, and then when I got to college, I couldn't wait to study Hebrew and Greek. Hmm. Couldn't wait to do that. But the funny thing happens on the road to <laughs> theological education, and that is you, you see some things you didn't notice before. You see some clashes and jars in the Gospels as, yeah. as you read them. Um, so th- there was some disorientation, I would say, during theological studies. And I hope I didn't make Highland pay for all that <laughs> when, I, when I was here. Hopefully I'd, I'd move through some of that stage, because now my view of scripture I think is higher yeah. than it was when I was 18, 19, 20 and so cocksure about what it meant about everything. Now it it um, it carries a kind of weight I couldn't known of, yeah. uh, of then. It, it, it carries um, a joy, a vibrancy, 
it it seems in discussion with itself if that makes sense about some things in a way that rings true to life yeah because there are times you need to push over this way and times you need to push over that way and i hear those voices of scripture and they they just ring true and authentic but i don't think of it in just in terms of the bible says it i believe it that settles yeah. it uh the bible is of course carries weight authority the word of god but the bible itself is is on a bit of a a faith journey yes. that we get to enter into yeah so um i'm anticipating a question uh that that i, I i'll just say i don't necessarily have a problem with it but i I think it's going to go into your greater appreciation for Scripture. Um, how can you say that and uh, still hold any amount of inerrancy? Uh, that the Bible is not flawed if it is in development. How can it be in yeah. development and somehow not flawed? Sure. Well, I, I don't use the word inerrancy to describe Scripture. Uh, it doesn't. But... Mm. That idea of being God-breathed, yeah. you know, when Paul is reflecting on the scriptures of the Old Testament, that it bears witness to the gospel. It is a word from God. Um, I, but as a, as a child, maybe I went into early chapters of Genesis looking for all the details mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. how creation came to be. Now I don't think that. I get the larger story. And that's more a change in me, not in Scripture, okay. right? It's yeah. like I shouldn't have been reading it poorly in the first place. But <laughs> but that that's how I read it early on. I I can just say it it rings true to the losses we've had in life, the joys in life, the the long journey. Um it, it's held up pretty well for a couple thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just thinking, um, you know, people in other fields. Uh, Matt's a physician here in town. And, uh, you know, if we found out he was referencing 100-year-old medical books, yeah. you know, in treating people at the hospital, we'd go, what? Yeah. He was doing a lot of bloodletting. <laughs> yeah, <people>. yeah. <laughs> leeches. We, <laughs> this is where we grow the leeches, yeah. Um, so there, there's so many areas that, uh, well... Because of the rapid pace of, of change from the internet, uh, just almost nothing 50 years old ago, right. you know, would be that helpful to us, it would seem right now. And yet, here's this book that we're still going back to, still reading afresh, still uh, the deeper we mine, the richer the ore is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, but that's different from trying to line up all my arguments to prove things when right. I was young. Now it, it, it resonates, it guides, it points. And I do think one of, the, one of the things I love about Highland, I hear this in language all the way through, which is not that we are pointing to the Bible, yeah. but that our Bibles are pointing us beyond itself to Jesus. Yeah. That, that, that our goal yeah. is not just to memorize the Bible. Our goal is to be slowly formed into the way of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a similar story that, that when the Bible um, became more like um, family history than textbook, uh, we're okay with seeming contradictions in family histories. We're okay with seeming contradiction in family members. Yeah. Um, we could describe grandparents as both warm and cold and know exactly what that meant, yeah. you know, uh, loving and harsh. Um, and so, you know, I think where I feel totally comfortable saying about scripture is it always believes itself to be telling the truth. Mm -hmm. It's always believes itself to be a credible witness. Um, but it's witnessing to an indescribable God. Mm -hmm. And so, we're okay with metaphors always being true up to a point, but the way a metaphor works is that there's a point where it's not true. Yeah. And so um, even seeing the ways that the ancient Israelites are trying to describe God as king, it's true up until the point when God is more than just king. Right. Uh, and so and our understanding of him is growing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And so for me, deconstruction is like at first Deconstruction with scripture is first incredibly troubling um, until 
what I needed from scripture grew and then it became like you've said, there's just this richness of story. That's, um, always, uh, this narrative of crushing weight. Mm -hmm. It's just, it always has so much weight to it. Uh, and, and every micro interaction that Jesus has with any person is, uh, thousands of years of family history leading up to that point of people trying to describe what God is. And all of a sudden God's here. Right. And that for me is so much more beautiful than, um, Genesis one through 12 and Darwin. We got to figure out who's, who's right there. Right. Um, because scripture isn't aware of Darwin or, uh, any of the, a lot of the other questions that we bring to it. It, Uh, It's not. And yet amazingly, it's not threatened. No by Darwin. It's not threatened by dinosaurs right. unless we superimpose that right. on it. I, there's always this interesting dialogue going on um, uh, in, in the study of Scripture because there's an author, yeah. there's a text, and there's me. <laughs> there's us, the church, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I spent forever trying to figure out what that one person meant. What did that author mean? And that's still a valid thing. I yeah. want people to try to figure out what I'm saying but there's so many things that i can't know right i mean i'm i'm not there exactly i don't know that church exactly so i also have a text i've got something that's lived on for hundreds of years and it's kind of spoken fresh words in fresh situations and then there's me and i'm I'm changing and growing Mm. and hopefully that's an ongoing conversation especially if by me i mean my community that I live yeah. in, the, the, our group of people that are reading it and learning afresh. Yeah. So one of the things that we talked about earlier is like a lot of the things that we've called deconstruction, people call deconstruction, is the way that their prayer changes, the way that yeah. something doesn't make sense this way anymore, and we have kind of are finding a new way. And the same with Scripture. You know, I, these are the stories that I learned, and as I grew up, some of them became problematic or I found out that archaeologically this doesn't make sense the way it was you know told here so how how do we help take people how do we help guide people through like here's how a child reads the bible and here's how it's okay for that to evolve through the years and it's not like you're wadding up and throwing it away but it how does the living word change and how do we make people okay with that i i love looking back on the life i've done so many funerals here Mm. since 1991 and when when you take somebody that really lived a long life that lived with scripture it's just interesting to see it It, their understandings certainly changed maybe they prayed through scripture in different ways but uh but that connection remained remain through the years. I, I do think as a child, I, I don't have to unpack the meaning of everything. I, do. I don't have to go into class and explain about Jonah and the whale mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in detail. You know, the story is there. The story is valid. Learn mm-hmm. the stories. Later as an adult, there may be other things about Jonah that close readings bring to me and surprise me each mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I read Jonah and I just it's a different lesson. I just think you cannot trust God to be unmerciful. You yeah. just you just can't trust him to be unmerciful. <laughs> Frustratingly so, yeah. yeah. It's a very frustrating lesson, especially yeah. today when there's righteous indignation Absolutely. and rage all yeah. over social media. And so from the right, from the left, especially sometimes from the left, it, it feels like now it's just like people are angry, 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 because and at times they're angry at God. Yeah. He, he just keeps surprising us and being merciful yeah. where we don't want mercy. It's exactly what we talked about at the top is the, the uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, ah, legalism, post-enlightened legalism. Yeah. Like you're enlightened now, but you're just as uh, black and white and non-gracious as you've ever been. <laughs> yeah, just in a new context. And yeah. you have instrumental music. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. what I've heard from people. They're like, I saw the light. No, no, you just had instrumental music. That's lovely. That's fine. Yeah. I don't mind that. Right. But that doesn't mean you you expunged those, those uh, again, the cocksure certainty. Uh, they just moved to a new place. Yeah. So much of this seems to strike me as like consistent with family of origin type stuff. Uh, 
you know, you don't want to like, uh, you don't want to, uh, you want to grow. Uh, we're always wanting our children to grow beyond us. Uh, but you're also not really wanting to see like the rejection. Richard Rohr talks about transcending yeah. who we are. And I think there's something there about, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to pass on. I don't want to pass on all of the parts of the faith that I grew up with. But a total rejection of it's rejecting all the people who flawed as they were taught me about the love of Jesus. And so the goal is not total acceptance or total rejection, rejection, but transcending, uh, finding a place to hold those things while also saying there's more. Yeah. Um, It's like the three stages of a child, right? Stage one, mommy's perfect. (laughs) Stage two, teenage stage, my mom's an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Stage three is an adult. You see, my mother's... a wonderful human being. She Person. has flaws, yeah. you know, but mom or dad are still people in my life and yeah. and, and people with strengths too. Yeah. So I, I think we're growing that way with our, with faith community, both yeah. local and yeah. large. And I do, I hear um, a rejection of Church of Christ, traditional mores, and I feel really similar about that. Like they're, yeah, imperfect. Clearly imperfect, um, but the, our identity cannot just become the rejection of what once was. Yeah. That's worse than uh, decons- b- tearing everything down without building anything back is worse than having something standing. Exactly, <laughs> and there was, and to find out that in the DNA there were strengths you maybe didn't even know. Absolutely, of. you know, back in the nineties, I w- I was pitching this egalitarian uh, vision here, and it. it as it turns out, it took a few years to catch on, or at least it it moved slowly. But but there was in our DNA the ability to get there because we are a people with a back to the Bible. Yeah, I mean not just back to what our tradition said in 1991, but back to the Bible. Uh, it's our heritage says that we're an autonomous congregation. Mm-hmm. We don't have to decide for everybody else. Yeah, Just for us, we can discern as a community. And then when we get there, it's likely that not everybody will agree, which yeah. is fine. I mean, ever since, up until now, you know, I've been in the minority because I yeah. thought we should have female elders. Yeah. I, you know, I thought, but having or not having female elders does not make us the people of God. Right. Uh, now that's that's not me backing up on that issue. No. I still I still believe it strongly, but I I think it's important for people to remember that getting these things right is not some kind of again security of salvation right. or eschatological reward. Right. You know, it's it's our journey. It's how we understand if this move is turns out in the rearview mirror not to have been the right move. We our candle didn't right. get taken away. Yeah. You right. know, we're st- we're still the people pursuing Christ. Yeah. We're not just trying to make the best checklist. No, no, yeah. we're, we're not. There, there's been discernment and study and, and movement as we go. All of that to say, I think it was there in the DNA, even though yeah. most churches of Christ are not where Highland is on that. Right. We, we had some strengths that made that possible, that there might be some traditions where you just can't because that's yeah. not denominational policy. Right. You know, when when Churches of Christ, uh, probably around 70s, 80s, early 90s, became the denomination that was uh, against instruments and against women, uh, and now we're not against either of those things, uh, these these other things emerge. One of my favorite things, which I think goes in lockstep with women elders, is the priesthood of all believers. Yes. That we believe that God has imbued everyone with God's Spirit, and that that Spirit carries servant leadership skills in all people, uh, regardless of age, gender, race. Uh, right. that's, uh, uh, and, we, and during COVID, we felt that because yeah. removed at times from the gathered church, we felt the priesthood of other believers. Yeah, I heard Tom Wright kind of complaining on a podcast about how in his Anglican tradition, nobody had been able to have communion hmm. all through COVID. Yeah. Because you had to be present, and the priest had the priest to, to give it. had had to bless it, and I thought, well, we didn't have that problem mm-hmm. because right. we believe in the priesthood yeah. of all believers. We shared communion by Zoom or separately in yeah. households. However, that happened. Yeah. Well, we've been kind of dancing around this, but I want to ask overtly: um, 
you know, kind of our question that everyone comes through, we ask, you know, what's something that you are letting go of believing you're kind of intentionally letting this go. And you've, you've checked uh, quite a bit of that off. Uh, talk to us about something that, you know, you were building, uh, intentionally building back in its place. Sure. Another way to ask this is, what is your favorite thing about God lately? Uh, what's, yeah. what's something you're holding on to? I, I, an important move for me came 10 to 15 years ago after a lifetime of uh, sometimes successful, more often unsuccessful efforts at prayer. And uh, I was helped a lot by Brian Zond, uh, but, but also by others, some in our community here, to where prayer is now a morning routine, and I mean routine in the best sense. Um, it's, it's four pages I pray through. Mm-hmm. And the psalm changed because part of it is you read the psalm for the day. Um, but, but you're reciting with the church important prayers. And then there's a little room for extemporaneous praying there, mm-hmm. you know, to pray about people that in your life. I've got a, a dear friend a couple decades older than me who's struggling with cancer now, and then he can sit in my heart and in my yeah. prayers every morning at that place. But I think that for me has been an important place to come to a place where I don't have to figure out where I am emotionally in the morning. I don't have to stay, you know, keep my head in the game for 40 minutes of prayer or whatever. I I just pray through these prayers. And I I think a lot of people at this church do that. Mm -hmm. But... um, a part of it is saying the Lord's Prayer. Well, that taps me back in not only to the Lord saying, pray this, but to being with Highland all these yeah. years and to praying with my church family, yeah. the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. That, I think that's the most important uh, change in, in my life, in, in my appreciation for God. Yeah. And then a sense of feeling His presence through that. Because part of the prayer is just sitting with Christ. Yeah sitting with Christ and then praying the Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ within me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of, uh, this, uh, I'm just not sure who said it first, but, um, the written prayers, the, uh, prayers that have survived have been refined through the church history for thousands of years have become meaningful to me. Part of which, because, uh, my conscious self stops becoming the most important thing. Um, and so I'm trying to remember who said it first, but, uh, prayer becomes God praying God's self. So that the God in me begins communing with the God out of me. Mm -hmm. And, um, if I'm, if I'm praying the prayers of the church, it's not relying on my ability to form words in my head or in my mouth, but just trusting what we've learned about faith through the many years. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, is that, sorry, I've got one more question. Yeah. Please, um, please edit the part out where I said, all right, yeah. However. But uh, that sounds like a really healthy way to approach prayer. And how, uh, like as someone who's who's grown from the stories that I learned as a child in the Bible, to feeling like I'm now at a place where like I don't, I want to know the contextualization of the story. I want to know mm-hmm. why he said this to these people, but I don't really know how to do that. What is a what is a, yeah. what is a good what's a good way for like me to engage scripture? Hmm. Someone like me to engage scripture in that way where I I can get more out of it than I could when I was eleven and I was learning about. Right. It's a great question. Elisha or whichever one it was calling the bears down and being yeah. like, well, that's, it's a weird story. I don't, it, it's weird. And I it's don't... a man with a big bald spot. I resent <laughs> it. Um, so a, a couple things come to mind. One is that I, I do think we read small sections best when we know the large, mm-hmm. right? That, that somehow, whether it's reading through the Bible in a year or just keeping before us the big story of the year. By the way, John Mark Hicks has a brand new book called, I think, Reading Through the Bible in 80 Days, just telling the story of the Bible in 80 days. I I just got it, I haven't read it, but I know it will be good, something like that. And the best way to read 
the large overarching story is through little stories. And so it's, it's the ultimate hermeneutical circle that the more I zero in on small sections, the more I will then understand the big mm -hmm. section. But the more I understand the big section, the more I'll understand the small ones. So the, the main thing I would say is, is find a place and stay with it for a while and chew on it and, and pray through it. Uh, for somebody listening today, if you say, like, I don't know where to start, well, right now I'm thinking Colossians is a great place mm. to start. Because you, if you start in Colossians, you're, you're going to be into a big cosmic Jesus mm -hmm. who's drawing all things to God. Uh, you're going to have a view of salvation that's so much bigger than me and my little decisions and self. Or pick one of the Gospels. People often like to begin in John because of the many interactions with people in there. But I think slow down, digest it, pray through it, ask questions, and when helpful, find a small group of people that will like to do that with you, you know? Yeah. Um, not so much the, the Bible Bowl training we had as kids, which I'm not opposed to, but growing beyond just yeah. how many, what's the middle chapter of Psalms or something like that, right. you know? And just chew through the Psalms and, and bump up against the embarrassing parts. You know, Psalm 137, go ahead and pray that Psalm. Hmm. Because if, if the church lets go of Psalm 137, what word does it have for a battered spouse who shows up on Sunday morning? Mm -hmm. hmm. You know, you, you have to be able to articulate your rage and your anger in the presence of God, trusting Him to do what God needs to do. Otherwise, you'll wind up doing it. Mm. Mm. And, and so all of Scripture kind of has its place. But, so that, that's kind of double face for me to say to you, Matt. But, <laughs> but I, I do think the best way is to slow down, chew on it, read Colossians, and then read it again, and then go on it again. Don't worry about Ephesians yet. Stay in Colossians. Stay with it for a month, yeah. a, a quarter, so on. But but also match that with reminding yourself what the big overarching story is yeah. of, of creation, the call of Israel, and so on. Yeah, I remember a story you told one time, uh, and this may this might be the trouble with preaching is that you get recorded for thirty years and you go, uh oh. <laughs> what? But this, I'm at least glad I was before YouTube. <laughs> the, the story was uh, it was like a first year a first year uh, student in Greek. And they say, this, this is, I don't remember what the item was, but like this word means vase. And you go, okay, that word means vase. And it's like a second year student in Greek is like, that word means vase, but it could also mean this. And contextually it could mean, and the third year and it gets, and, the, and it, 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 it probably means that this weird thing that nobody's thought of, you know, that, and yeah. then a fourth year student in, in Greek goes, it, pro it probably, probably means, means face. face. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly, I don't, did I say that? Yeah. I, I, I don't remember that, but that's actually kind of how it is, that there's, there's something, if you're already um, kind of raised in a place that likes being certain, Boy, this just feeds the certainty. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. you get a little brighter than everybody else because you know it could mean this or, yeah. the, or that. And, and then the kind of place at the end, which is why I'm, I get tickled when somebody says, oh, it's wonderful he preaches from the Greek. It's like, you know, it's been translated. <laughs> people, really, really people brighter people than this person. Committees <laughs> for years. Committees yeah. went in. The yeah. people that lost the vote getting the footnotes. Yeah, right, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of, it, it reminds me of that... Uh, that deconstruction should typically end in humility. Yeah. And being like, we, yeah. we think this. It and, ends in humility and prayer. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. That it's not a goal in itself. And that's probably what people are pushing back against, a sense that people are throwing off their faith or they're trashing the church. Well, the church has faults, mm -hmm. always has, but... Yeah. Um, we're in the process of being transformed. Right, right. And I, yeah, there's this gray area of um, uh, not wanting people to just throw off everything together and and to do this in really toxic ways with uh, to, to enter just another echo chamber where yeah, right. you know, if the Bible doesn't mean anything either. Yeah, well, that's not totally informed either. Yeah. But also, there's this other 
part on the continuum where I just personally know that I'm really glad I got to do deconstruction at ACU's uh, 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 School of Theology because I realized that my faith wasn't worth keeping (laughs) and that my understanding of Scripture... if I could talk to 22-year-old version of me who was lamenting losing his faith, I would say it's not a worth fa- good. Yeah. You, you needed to let go of that faith. It was pretty poor. And so um, I think kind of that question is, yeah, can you do this in a way that ends to more humility? Can you do this in a way that lends itself towards being around other people who are also practicing humility and wonder and living in the mystery um, versus trading in one echo chamber for another. Right. Um, it should lead you to healthier community and healthier understanding of God. Um, and if, if it's not, that should be a red flag. But I don't know how to tell people if your community is getting healthier or less healthy. So yeah, that's also hard. Yeah. One of the beautiful and I think unique things about Highland is it, from the time that I came in 1999 when I was a freshman at ACU, it was a place that was okay with saying, hey, this is hard sometimes. Yeah. And uh, and that's hard to do in a, in a church in America, especially where I think this is where you want to have church as a selling point into making your life better and easier because you're doing things right with God who cares about you. And, and Highland was always a place where it was okay to say, hey, I'm having a really hard time with this or... Um, you know, and and that is a that's the only kind of soil I think where real authentic growth can happen is is in a is an environment where it's okay to say this is yeah. hard. You're safe there. You're safe. And, and to that, ask that earlier idea that people will be with you. Yeah, yeah. And I you think know. your leadership through those many years is a big reason for that. Yeah, we're grateful for it today. Thanks, mm-hmm. Thanks guys. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. yeah. Good to be with the two of you today. Yeah, this was fun. Nice being in here. All right. Well, I got nothing else. Like I said, we can't land a plane. <laughs> I thought that was the best ending we've ever had. You just nailed it. I'm so impressed. <laughs>